This is the Chillinois podcast for Saturday, December 5th, 2020. My name is Justine from Canna Queens. And I am Cole Preston from the Chillinois podcast. Uh, just really quick, I almost said I'm Justine from Canna Queens. <laughs> I'm Justine from Canna Queens. <laughs> um, do you want to hear your voice heard on the Chillinois podcast? You can leave us a voicemail by calling 312-772-6844. Community input is critical to this operation. Your feedback determines the future of this podcast. To provide feedback on the podcast, go to chillinoynet slash podcast, scroll down and click the Be Heard button. From there, you can write us an email and more. So, yeah. Sorry, Cole. <laughs> Do it, folks. Do it. I want your feedback. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to start off here. Um, first off, we are going to introduce our first guest. Um, so we're going to be having Dr. Lee on the show today. And he is a physician that is um, basically certifying people for their medical cannabis cards. And he does a lot of telemedicine. So we are really excited to have him back on the podcast. Yeah, you guys might remember uh, Dr. Lee um, from a former podcast. He's actually been on a few now, I believe. Um, so really exciting. He's from Green Mind Physicians. So if you're wanting to get certified for medical cannabis in the state of Illinois or in other states, um, he's your guy. He is the most compassionate when it comes to pricing. Um, he will match your price. And as you'll learn, if you haven't already found out, he's fucking awesome. So check out former podcasts we've done with him because we always cover great things. Um, but today is sure to be um, awesome. So before we do that, though, why don't we talk about our friend Kelvin McCabe from Illinois Normal? Yeah, so Kelvin McCabe recently did a newspaper interview. Um, it was actually earlier this week for a reporter out of Kendall County here in Illinois. Um, the topic was people being ticketed or arrested for improper or illegal transportation of cannabis in a motor vehicle. As the only criminal defense attorney in the all-volunteer vo board of Illinois Normal, he felt it was only proper that he chimed in. He made a statement on the medical cannabis community's Facebook page. Uh, we're going to read off some of the statements that he made because they reflect some statements we have made on the air in the past. We feel all these points should be addressed going forward. Um, so the first point is... Despite talk of making cannabis-related offenses on par or similar with alcohol-related activities, um, as it turns out, the penalties are drastically different, as we probably know um, as part of the cannabis community. Uh, illegal transportation of alcohol is a petty offense, punishable by a fine only, and is not an arrestable offense. On the contrary, illegal transportation of cannabis is a Class A misdemeanor punishable by up to a year in jail and a $2,500 fine. Um, drivers arrested for this offense, this second point, drivers arrested for this offense often have their vehicles towed, incurring significant more in... <laughs> Sorry, this was worded weird. Um, we're going to edit that and go back to it. <laughs> Yeah, it should have been significantly more in more out-of-pocket costs, but um, that's all right. Our third point here, um, 
numbers we are seeing thus far seem to suggest that the same disproportionate rates of tickets or arrests for minorities when it was illegal, um, for example, people arrested for possession, are occurring for people charged for improper transportation post-legalization. In other words, cops are still targeting or at least ticketing minorities more frequently relative to their populations in society at large. Minorities do not use cannabis at rates different from the general white population, yet again seem to be the focus of enforcement efforts. Not good for those wishing to address the harms of past systemic racism in enforcement to continue this shameful practice post-legalization. Yeah, and before I move on to point four, I wanted to reiterate point two because you verbally stumbled on it, not to, to make a big show out of it. But uh, I also, when I corrected you, I realized I was muted on the podcast. So the people on Instagram heard me, but the people on the podcast didn't. So uh, drivers arrested for the offense of having cannabis in their vehicle and improperly transporting it, quote unquote, often have their vehicles towed, incurring significant, uh, incurring some significant in and out of pocket costs that would not happen if cannabis was just treated the same as alcohol. And just, I guess that relates to the point that I'm about to transition to, which is that it's a really odd situation in Illinois where dispensaries sell us products and containers that are most definitely not odor proof. But once you get in the car, Illinois law suddenly requires it to be odor proof. Cops use this smell slash odor to bypass the warrant requirement and search vehicles for ironically, not the possession of cannabis, but rather the improper transportation. And because it's a class A misdemeanor, it's a crime. It's the most serious misdemeanor, in fact. And thus, the odor gets cops into your vehicle and you on the side of the road, even though cannabis possession itself is legal. What a fancy workaround for law enforcement. And I suspect that they are, in fact, responsible for this absurd situation um, but we don't have solid proof of that. I mean, it's just the law is written quite peculiar. Pecu- I can't now. I can't say words. Damn it. Um, <laughs> the the high prices of cannabis still, after all these years, no doubt contribute to the people refusing to use dispensaries and carrying cannabis on their persons and baggies or whatever their preferred method is. So, um, you know, so socioeconomic differences, i.e., people that don't care about prices. Uh, versus people who simply cannot afford the dispensaries mean that people least able to afford a lawyer or to get their car out of the impound or pay the fines and court costs of the ridiculous charges are most likely to be ticketed almost one year out from legalization, which is fucking nuts. The point of all this is to say um, making good law takes time. People with the best intentions don't realize collateral consequences sometimes until they manifest they manifest out in the real world. This whole legalization ordeal is a marathon, not a sprint. Progress is being made. It just needs tweaked from time to time to correct past mistakes and oversights. Those who can, get yourself a smell-proof bag, throw your stash in the trunk or whatever, and mind your P's and Q's. Just follow the law. Do as much as you can to stay in compliance as possible. The number of people who get stopped for a headlight or something silly and then end up in court for something like illegal transportation of cannabis is staggering. Cops can only pretend to smell cannabis when they are at your window. Don't give them a reason to be there. And really quick, Justine, um, I just wanted, I noticed on the Instagram live stream, Canna Bev said he thought the smell uh, was 
the smell reason for searching a car was not acceptable anymore. Um, that's, that's, I don't want to like argue with you, but that's not entirely true. And this is exactly what Kelvin McKay board of director on the board of directors of normal is talking about in the law. It calls uh, for the fact that uh, the container that you trans in order to transport cannabis legally, the container must be childproof sealed and odor proof. Now, there aren't any odor-proof containers sold in the state of Illinois. And in fact, the point I always like to make is that there's no such thing as an odor-proof container. So um, ultimately, it is going to be something that the courts is the courts are going to have to... It's going to play out in the courts. Um, but from what we're seeing and what Kelvin's seeing, th these things aren't changing. And so it's kind of like shifted from instead of being cited for transporting cannabis and we're actually about to talk about how things change with decriminalization but instead of being cited for transport of cannabis you're or possession rather you're being cited for transporting incorrectly or not in accordance with the law so um ho hopefully the goal is my goal is to make it so that smell alone is not a reason to search your car smell alone because of course if it smells like marijuana in your car so if it smells like alcohol in your car when you get pulled over I mean, we might need to have a conversation. Why does it smell? Like, why am I smelling alcohol? Um, but what I'm trying to say is smell alone. So, um, you know, if you pull somebody over and there's, you see a joint in their hand and you smell marijuana, well, there you go. You know, he's, he's breaking two rules, you know. So um, anyways, Justine, I wanted you to continue to uh, the little tidbit about decriminalization because this is a big one. So, yeah. Um, so just before legalization for adult use, we had decriminalization under decriminalization. If you had 10 grams or less, you got a simple ticket, a civil infraction. So something along the lines of like burning your leaves in the ditch, you know, nothing major um, with a maximum fine of $200 automatically expunged off of your record after six months. Now we have this class A misdemeanor thing post legalization. How could the penalties for cannabis go up when, when going from decriminalization to legalization? How does that even make sense? There was no transportation law under decriminalization. So why was it added once we went legal? Yeah. And so, Canabev, I agree with you. It's a double-edged sword. Um, but again, I want to make the point, because I saw you said, put it in an odor-proof container, smell-proof container. That device does not exist. Mark, okay, uh, let me stop. You can Google odor-proof containers, and you're going to find plenty of results. But if an odor-proof container existed, hear me out, the drug cartels would be all over that. And in fact, you, you like, so canines are like basically the number one way to find drugs. I mean, besides just totally throwing the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> your bill of rights out the window, um, uh, in courts, they basically determined that, um, using a canine is not, you know, inhibiting on your protections against search and seizure. And so this is kind of their way around all of that, um, so yeah, we just we just got to make it so that, that that's not the case. But anyways, I feel like I trailed off. Um, you're going to find odor-proof containers online, but they're not going to be completely odor-proof. Um, they might be to a human, but the point is to a dog um, or even to a cop. The biggest thing is there's nothing stopping these cops from pretending to, to from pretending to smell cannabis. And once they find the cannabis, 
it's kind of a hard argument to make that that's not the cannabis they said they were smelling. So, you know, the argument can be made, but um, a lot of people, legislators included, are operating under the assumption, and this is what we're kind of talking about, that illegal transportation of alcohol and illegal transportation of cannabis are presently treated the same. They're not. Cannabis, by its physical nature, can be transported much differently than alcohol in a baggie, in a joint, in food, whatever. You can't put a 12-pack in your pocket, nor is cannabis just sitting in someone's pocket a hazard to anybody on the road. And no, we're not talking about using cannabis while driving. We're just talking about having a little bit on you. And just additionally, going into odor proof, um, these are points that I like to make. There are a few hypothetical circumstances in which you could smell like weed while transporting it correctly. So if you wear a jacket that you frequently smoke in, can a Bev, I see you wearing that same jacket all the time on your stream. I'm just joking. I, I don't notice if it's the same jacket, but let's say you use the same jacket all the time. That smell is going to stick to your clothes. And let's just say you had cannabis in the car and the officer says he smells cannabis and it just can turn into a dicey situation. If somebody recently smoked next to you, the smell can stick to your clothes. If you grow at home or you smoke in home, the smell can stick to your clothes, thus causing a hypothetical false positive. And my last one that I learned, I actually got this, this is not even a hypothetical scenario. This is um, somebody that I know they have kids and they, just, you know, part of the law, we've talked about this, is that you can't use cannabis around your kids. They don't really define what that means, um, but we can all agree that means don't smoke a bong next to your five-year-old, right? So what this person does is they go out into their garage, which is near their car, and they smoke their weed. They smoke their weed. And um, their car smells like weed because of it. And you you guys can get what I'm saying. I really don't have to go any further. Um, this is another hypothetical scenario. And like I say, not even a hypothetical, it's a concrete one that I've heard of um, where you could almost put yourself in a position to get yourself in some bad trouble. If you're not, especially if you're not well-equipped and this is the biggest point that we're trying to make, you know, um, some people could make the argument. Some people could get a really good attorney and they could make an argument that they, you know, they could set precedent, in other words. And this is what we're waiting on, um, unfortunately. But until then, people are, pe this is, and this is what we're, this is why we're talking about it. People are going to be made examples of, potentially. And that is kind of a sad thought, right, Justine? Yeah, absolutely. I would hate to see somebody that I know and love that has been following the law um, end up getting in trouble for something so silly. I mean, that's, that's just really sad. Yeah. So we're going to talk about more advancements in cannabis law um, later in this show. But right now, we're going to bring on Dr. Lee from Green Mind Physicians. So before we add Dr. Lee to the call, Justine, I actually wanted to share a comment that I just noticed was made on our Reddit. So I posted some of those statements that Kelvin had made to the Reddit. And somebody responded saying that they actually went through some of what we were talking about, unfortunately. So this person said they ended up with a year of court supervision, a class A misdemeanor, and a $600 fine for an eighth of cannabis that was in a baggie instead of a sealed childproof container. Um, that just, you know, proves our point that we were talking about. Like, is cannabis really legal if you can get, you know, if you can get a class A misdemeanor for an eighth of cannabis? And it's pretty crazy that 
just last year when cannabis wasn't legal for adult use, technically you would not have gotten a class A misdemeanor uh, according to the decriminalization law. The decriminalization law just cited you, but now that it's become illegal, we've added a class A misdemeanor as um, you know, a punishment. In other words, the risk has increased since we decriminalized. How does that make any sense? We decriminalized it. Usually that's like the baby step and then legalization is what gets you there. So kind of weird, but um, yeah, so just wanted to share that. It's unfortunate, but uh, just wanted to share that. And uh, I also just wanted to uh, pick up on something that I was just saying later in this episode, as I was just mentioning, we're going to cover more advances in the cannabis in cannabis policy, specifically the MORE Act, which, as we covered in a short episode yesterday, just recently passed the United States House of Representatives. We'll tell you why there still is a glimmer of hope for the MORE Act which could ultimately lead to a United States that doesn't treat cannabis possession, use, or cultivation as a criminal offense. So without further ado, I wanted to welcome Dr. Eric Lee from Green Mind Physicians back to the podcast. Hello, how's it going, guys? Hey, Eric, how's it going? I'm doing really well, thanks. Yeah, it's so nice to get to talk to you again, and we've been reading over your latest blog post um, about why you should not smoke uh, cannabis, which is very startling to hear for a lot of our listeners. But don't worry, we're going to offer you some alternatives. <laughs> it, yeah, it so. is. It is. You, I feel like I've gotten a lot of resistance on this one. I feel like when I put it out there, it's just going to be smooth sailing, but it really hasn't. Yeah, man, you definitely, you definitely worried me when I and I worried other people because we kind of we kind of did this together. If fo folks, if you missed it, we were celebrating No Smoke November, and I hit up Eric uh, saying we were coming back, and he was like, "You know what? I really like that idea. Yeah. Why, why don't I, you know, pile on?" And I love that you did because we've got a really good conversation ahead of us uh, today. Before we get into that story, where can we uh, remind us, you know, a little bit about yourself, and where can we find you online? Um, well, I started a company called Green Mind Physicians, and we do certifications in a few different states. Um, most of our business comes from Michigan and Illinois. Um, so you can find us at our website, greenmindphysicians.com. Um, Instagram, Facebook have the same name. Um, and I really have a passion for research and kind of understanding where the research is at and why it's at the place it is. Um, so I write about it pretty often. And to respond to some of the things that you're talking about before the show, um, I just I saw that it passed the House of Representatives, which is great. Um, it's it's really, you know, as a as a provider, it's really sad to see that it's in the place it is because we're so far behind where we should be um, in terms of cannabis research. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, the glimmer of hope becomes a reality um, because we really need to to learn a lot more. Yeah. And I just wanted to say something really quick. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later when we actually get into the more act, but I thought you might find this funny, uh, Dr. Lee. So most people know that the more act, I mean, like we said, there is a glimmer of hope. So stick, stick with us for that. We'll tell you why there is a glimmer of hope for the more act passing, but most people generally agree that it's probably going to die in the Senate. Uh, <laughs> depending on how things play out. And I just, you know, not necessarily to talk about that, but I thought I might give you a little chuckle. Um, somebody asked Mitch McConnell if, because he supported hemp legislation, if he would be 
uh, getting behind cannabis legalization anytime soon. And he said, I support hemp, but I do not support its illicit, its illicit cousin. They are not the same plant. And it's just, that's just hilarious to me because it just shows that he doesn't understand what cannabis is. Yeah, he's, he's a victim. He's a victim of the war on drugs, just like everybody else. So, Dr. Lee, you said you certify patients in the state of Illinois. Uh, is it Michigan? And is there another state? Yeah, there's a few more. Um, I also do Oklahoma, and I have a few friends that are doing Oregon. Um, and that is where most of our business comes from. Gotcha. Gotcha. So just really quick before we get into uh, your blog post, I wanted to share some news for the Illinois Medical Cannabis Program. Um, Bob Morgan, who's a representative uh, for in, in the Illinois, I believe he's the Illinois House of Representatives. I might be, might be wrong on that, actually. Um, he just recently posted on the Illinois Cannabis Community that um, the rules for um, what are considered to be lifelong conditions will soon be released, uh, I guess, within the next few months. So that's something that has been drafted up since uh, the sunset program or the, the 20, when they removed the 2020 sunset, um, they said that they would also be removing the renewal process for patients with lifelong conditions. Another thing they said they would be allowing uh, they'd be establishing guidelines for permitting returns and refunds for damaged and inadequate products, which that's that's some progress. So I just wanted to share that mm -hmm. um, since we're talking about, you know, the programs that you help certify people in. And I thought it'd be exciting to share what I think is a huge change in the program, Dr. Lee, because yeah. the one thing I like about you, and I just want to say this right out of the gate, is that you're you're very compassionate and you're fair with your pricing. Um, but one of the things that I have always thought, and it's nothing you can control, I want to be very clear, it's nothing you control, but I've always thought it's kind of bullshit, for lack of better words, that we have to recertify every three years, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's nice, especially if you have a lifelong condition. Like I get, I suppose I get if you don't have a lifelong condition, which Justine made a good point before we hopped on air. I don't know out of the list of conditions you know, the Illinois has, I don't know which one wouldn't be a lifelong condition, to be honest. You right. know, I don't, I don't know how they're going to define that. Um, and I've heard rumors that it's going to be between the physician and the patient, but I don't know how that would work either. So we'll see in a few months, long story short. So mm -hmm. um, those rules should apparently be coming finalized and official right. um, according to representative Morgan. So wanted to just share that uh, good news before we, start talking about uh, smoking cannabis and maybe why we shouldn't do it uh, at all or as often. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. I think, you know, in the definition, a lot of those medical conditions do have some type of time frame that's required to be diagnosed. Um, you know, the pain part literally says chronic pain and most other conditions also have a time component. Um, so you're totally right. It, it usually is a lifelong condition and it kind of goes Back to the fact that, you know, legal cannabis is not exactly, it's not exactly fair for people who are low income. It's a little classist. It's hard to afford. It's still a lot more expensive than black market cannabis is. Um, and one of the barriers to entry is the physician's fee and the certification fee. So I think it's a really, you know, patient centered thing to do. And it's a good thing to do. Yeah. So uh, tell our, well, let's put our listeners at ease. When you say, don't smoke cannabis. You're not saying don't use cannabis, right? 
<laughs> I first of all, I still smoke weed, so I want everyone to know that before we even like go any further. I'm not an anti smoke weed person. Um, but you know, if you really are gonna look at marijuana as being part of your life long term, um, and you still wanna, you know, be a person who respects science and data and what we do have, then you need to think about your lungs too, because we we have enough data to say for sure that cannabis does stuff. Um, smoking flower cannabis has an effect on your lungs. Um, and even if you choose to keep smoking it, you know, you should at least know what's out there. Um, and that's the whole point. So we, we talk to everyone, anyone who uses our services is forced to listen to our talk about it. Um, and anyone who certifies cannabis, like as a provider, um, should definitely make it part of their routine. I think as being one of those people who always um, kind of pushes back when people try to tell me that smoking of cannabis is harmful to your lungs. Um, I know I'm definitely one of those people that's like, oh, but it's not as bad as cigarettes. But reading through mm. your blog post here, I was probably wrong about that. Is that right? I I mean, there's part of it that literally looks at the chemical composition, and you can say for sure that there are s similar components in the smoke of cannabis and tobacco that cause problems. Um, but the pattern of cannabis smoke typically um, is a lot less. Like when they're looking at the research, they're talking about joint years, which is one joint per day per year, um, versus a pack year for a tobacco smoker, a pack per day per year. Um, it's really different amount of smoke exposure. Um, so habitual, long-term, and just generally, people who smoke tobacco are going to have more smoke exposure. Yeah, um, and I don't, I don't mean to get ahead of uh, what you're wanting to say, but isn't one of the things about a lot of the studies or publications that have been uh, published uh, that you know most marijuana users also smoke cigarettes? So it complicates. Mm -hmm some of the results and it, it makes it hard to, to really make that comparison. You know what I mean? Like you say, I, I was reading that in your blog post. There was, what was it that you said where you tested the smoke and it was more or less the same as a cigarette. You know what I mean? Um, right. But yeah. Um, okay. Say in response. I kind of forget. All right. Um, it's all good. Once I was looking for it as well, I, I uh, highlighted it um, somewhere here in this blog post. It's an awesome blog post, by the way, folks. If you want to go to greenmindphysicians.com slash blog, that's where you'll find it. There's a lot more in there, too. Uh, okay. It's a wealth of knowledge. I remembered what I want to say. Um, so, yes, you're totally right that one of the big issues is that a lot of people also smoke cigarettes. Um, but for me, the biggest issue is that there's still a mismatch between clinical marijuana research and what is actually happening. Um, because a lot of the inclusion, like when they look at the patients they're going to include in studies, um, they're including a wide range of patients. And there's no standardization for like how much people are smoking, how many times a day. Um, they use people that smoke like you know, as little as once a week or once a month in some of these, it's, it's really all over the place. Um, so all of this has to come with a grain of salt, which is that we're not really great at, you know, performing this research because it's on an illegal substance um, or interpreting it because there's, there's a lot of issues with the data that we have. 
I found what I was uh, referencing. I don't mean to cut you off here, Justine. No, go for it. To say something, but uh, uh, I was reading in your blog post the first myth about marijuana that you wanted to dispel is that marijuana smoke is inherently different from other smoke. And it's true that it doesn't have additives that most cigarettes have. But when you really look at the smoke with an ultra microscope called a mass, mass spectrometer, you notice that it contained, or at least some of the studies you read uh, said that it contains a lot of the same compounds that we know cause cancer in tobacco smoke. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can basically put smoke into a machine and it sorts all the particles out by size. And then you get this readout that says you have, you know, a hundred of this type of particle and a hundred of this type of particle. And it tells you essentially, if you're smart enough, um, which particles these are. Um, so when you really get down to the nitty gritty and analyze the chemicals that are swimming around in smoke, it's, it's pretty simple. Gotcha. So I feel like we may have gotten ahead of ourselves. We may have dropped, jumped in, uh, in the deep end. Can you go ahead and give us, uh, your key points, um, on this subject? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's basically what we've been talking about. A, that there's a lot of issues with marijuana research. Um, but B, they all trend towards the same point, which is that smoking marijuana has some type of appreciable impact on your body. Uh, and you need to at least think about it. I don't, I don't try to like force people to only, you know, think about edibles and only topicals. I just, I really just want people to know that there is some information out there. Um, and you can make your own decisions. Um, but you need to at least think about it because that is what we do as doctors. We are, you know, first and foremost interpreters of data. Um, and if you're good at it, you know, hopefully communicating it to other people. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a really, um, you know, it's a very responsible approach of saying like, I'm not going to tell you not to do this. I'm just going to tell you that bad things might happen if you do, but you know what? I do it myself too. So it's kind of use at your own risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and another important thing, um, another really consistent theme throughout all of this is that marijuana compared to a lot of its other peers um, in the medication world is, is a lot cleaner. It has a lot fewer side effects and a lot lower risk of acute harm for a patient using marijuana. Um, compared to like a benzo or opiate or even alcohol. Um, so from that standpoint, you know, everyone can appreciate it. Um, but you do have to think about the smoking part too, um, which is what this is all about, I guess. Yeah, and I think that people, like you say in your blog post, um, people get into the habit of smoking flour because it is, generally speaking, of course, Illinois, the Illinois market is setting a new standard. I'm just kind of joking, but it's generally speaking, inexpensive and easy to find. And mm. I think another key contributor to it is, uh, and this, this can play to people's benefit or <laughs> downfall for lack of better words, is that it's relatively instant in terms of, uh, you know, action. I feel like if you're looking for instant relief, if you're in pain, uh, you've got ex an extreme bout of nausea and you can't wait that hour, that 30 minutes for your edible or your tincture to kick in. I feel like that's another reason that people might uh, gravitate towards inhale uh, medium, the inhale medium, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think that's definitely true. You know, people with things that come and go like migraines are definitely going to want something that, you know, acts right away. Um, that'll always probably be part of the equation too. Um, and then what you were saying earlier, for sure, also true. Flower cannabis is definitely the cheapest. And it kind of goes back to this whole like classist issue with legal marijuana, because even this year in Illinois, they introduced a new tax for like high concentrate products, um, which the quote unquote healthier things like babes and constant like edibles, you know, they're higher concentrate. So they get taxed more. Um, it's it's expensive to be healthier and it really pushes low income people into using flour. Yeah, that's actually a perspective I've not I've not considered. Justine, have you ever thought of that? The fact that it's like the more expensive option is the the better option for you. I and mean, it's basically out of those people's hands. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking back to, um, you know, my days as a bud tender and with reading through the blog post and seeing that there are like different types of cancers that could potentially be linked to smoking um, cannabis and thinking about my patients that would come in that had cancers that were generally lower income and, you know, they'd pick up like a gram of flour at a time because it's 20 bucks versus the 60 to $70 for a cartridge, which might be the safer alternative. So I definitely agree that it is, um, it's very classist and it, they, they're definitely not making it easy to afford, especially here in Illinois, for sure. Yeah. I mean, for me in a perfect world, most things would be kind of income driven in terms of price. Um, but especially with the marijuana world where, you know, in Illinois, especially you can, you can register as a social security patient and, you know, the state knows about it. I think that should definitely translate into these, these additional tax burdens that we have to think about. Um, I don't, I don't think it's really fair to just say, you know, this, this has a certain percentage of THC. So we're going to charge an additional price on it. It feels a little arbitrary. Um, but you know, a lot of this is just chosen by the government. Yeah. And speaking of the government, I've got more news from Bob Morgan that we covered on our community. Uh, I think it was earlier this week or in the last few weeks. This is pretty exciting for our medical cannabis patients. Um, six years ago, um, they used their best guess as to how much it would use to cost to run the program. And the state wasn't really supposed to make money from the medical cannabis program. It was really only the money they were supposed to get was only supposed to cover costs for staff, equipment, and IT. But more money is coming in than needed, a lot more. There's currently $28 million, uh, largely from patient fees in the medical cannabis fund right now. And uh, Bob's proposed legislation, which is if you're looking into it and you want your representatives to support it, it's HB 5865. Um, his, so he is a House representative. Yeah, I was right. Um, more proposed legislation uh, will give at least... $20 million back to you. So after all, after all is said and done, it should be about $250 back in your pocket. Um, this is obviously going to have to wait until spring 2021, but he says he promises everything. He's going to, he's going to do everything in his power to get it done. So um, Bob Morgan's doing uh, good work for the medical cannabis program. And another thing that he mentioned is that, uh, you know, um, they're working on reducing patient fees in half. So, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's great. And it's it follows a pattern of states being legal for a while and then dropping the fees. Uh, Michigan just did it for this year, too. It dropped its fee from 100 a year to 40. 
um, which is always awesome. Um, <laughs> the first thing you said is just so funny because everyone who makes projections on like state markets, they're always wrong. And it's like the surprise Pikachu thing. Like why people like marijuana? <laughs> it's so consistent and it's the way it always is. Um, Missouri is doing that right now with, you know, the big study that came out before legalization. It came from UMSL. Um, and it was a huge underestimation of the interest. Um, we don't even have dispensaries and the, the patient quotas that we've met um, already exceed what they've predicted. And we have no dispensaries. That's nuts. It makes me wonder, you know, when they're coming up with these numbers, especially when it comes to medical cannabis, um, I like in my head, I just picture a bunch of, you know, these House representatives who have probably never tried it in their lives. They always kind of look down on people who used it and they're making these estimates and like, it can't possibly be that popular. I mean, yeah, we'll legalize it, but how many people are even going to sign up for this? And then they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a. I think it's pretty similar to the people who are, you know, orchestrating these clinical studies, too. It's just a mismatch between reality and perception. Um, and a lot of that is generational, has to do with war drugs, again, which pervades all things marijuana. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's why we vote and all that good stuff, you know. <laughs> Definitely. And I mean, to just return to maybe an effect of the war on drugs and the conversation of, uh, you know, no smoke November. Um, as I was reading in your blog po post, we've <laughs> had several decades of low and medium qual quality studies, but none of the large scale studies that doctors really need to, like you, none, no studies that really like, give you what you need to make decisions. So can you talk to us about the quality mm -hmm. of information that's available with regard to cannabis? We talked a little bit about it on the last podcast about we're kind of stuck in a yeah. catch 22. It's really important know. to talk about and think about, and I always try to mention it each time I write something um, because, you know, you really can cherry pick stuff with marijuana, especially. So if you're out there and you've like looked stuff up and you've seen something that said that it's not bad for your lungs, you know, there's, there's plenty of stuff out there that says something that equates to that. Um, that's kind of where we are. It's like, it's a wild west right now. Um, but when you have a bunch of these kind of low quality studies that have a bunch of meth method issues, um, you know, whether it's not standardizing the amount of marijuana or the amount of exposure, um, you can still get some, some use out of these low quality studies. If you have someone who's really good at math, like a statistician that puts it all together and gives you what's called a meta-analysis. Um, so that's what we're talking about in the blog post that I put up. It's meta-analysis about cannabis smoke, um, on a few different parts of your body. So on your cancer risk, on your cardiovascular system, and on your uh, uh, lungs. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, I just thought it was interesting just for some perspective for, for people, or as you say, for historical reference, let's compare this with uh, tobacco. So small retrospective studies were published in the 1920s and 1940s while tobacco was in its adolescence. Um, but the first well-conducted perspective study uh, wasn't published until 
1954, which was over 70 years after the tobacco industry started in the United States. Let's hope we don't have to wait 70 years um, <laughs> for a well-conducted prospective study. And, I, you know, I, th- I don't think we will. I, I really do view the MORE Act as a lot of progress, um, even if it uh, meets its death in the Senate, because it's the first time we've seen something like this. Um, yeah. Pass the House and Senate, you know. So it's definitely the most pro marijuana his moment in history, which is great to see. Yeah. So, um, you know, you were talking about meta analysis, um, and uh, you know the fact that it's really people taking these weakish studies to produce this meta analysis. Um, what? What other research? What other issues with the marijuana research have you noticed? Um, if any, there's just so many. I mean, you can nitpick anything, but I mean, the big ones we've really talked about. Um, I also think that a huge issue is that there's mismatch between provider acceptance and patient interest. Like, there's just not a lot of doctors know about marijuana. You know, in the same way that they don't know what's going on in dispensaries or different forms. Um, it has to do with training, absolutely. Um, and that is definitely, that's definitely a huge part of it. Um, what else? I, I think there's something special about conducting research on an American population, too, just because there's nuances that you can't really see until, until you do the data stuff. Um, so we really need legalization. Vice President Harris mentioned that she was going to decriminalize on the trail. It's it's really exciting time, um, and hopefully it happens soon. Um, because we like like you were saying in the timeline that compares it to tobacco, we're in the part where people are kind of resistant. Um, like the other day, I mentioned on a post that we'd probably end up labeling marijuana products, um, and that got a lot of heat. Um, but I think it's inevitable. I don't, I don't think it's say that, say that again. what did you get here for? I'm sorry. Where we like label marijuana products in the same way we label tobacco products. Like this causes birth defects. This is going to cause lung, dis- lung disease. Yeah. A, sur- a surgeon's general notice. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. I, it's going to be a thing on all smoked products or inhaled products. Um, it's just, oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I definitely agree. I mean, there's, there's no way. I mean, and I, that's a little bit of a, a troubling thing not to put you on the spot, but what do you think about um, some of these trends? I, at least I've heard of uh, trends in which like, you know, and, and I realize this can get controversial. So, if, you know, you don't have a, mm-hmm. a position on it or whatever. Ooh, that's, that's okay. But, uh, but like, uh, using cannabis while pregnant. I've heard that that's become uh, more of a thing and I wouldn't have thought too, too much about CBD use, but I've heard of people using like, like, like THC, <laughs> like they're getting high while having, while yeah. you know, and it's ever teach their own. Right. Um, but generally you, you just, I'm under the understanding that like drugs, you, you know, you want to keep at a minimum. Oh, you, you hear about me? everybody's crazy shit in medicine and like non-judgment is definitely a huge part of what you have to have to try to learn. Um, but 
funny you should mention that because a pretty large amount of data came out earlier this year about THC and pregnancy. And it's not just smoking. It looks like it's the THC too. Um, that has to do with the blood vessels and the placenta. It does not look like any marijuana use is technically healthy during pregnancy. Um, but, you, I mean, I hear patients that do all kinds of crazy shit when they're pregnant and the baby ends up being fine. Like, the human body is amazingly resilient. Um, For sure. But if the data is there, then that's what it says. And everyone should try to abide by what we know. Um, it's not in the guidelines. That's part yeah. of, you know, marijuana advocacy, making sure that guidelines include specific references to marijuana use. Um, so that is something that, you know, should be in guidelines in the future for pregnancy. Um, but it is, it does not look like any amount of THC is a good thing. Gotcha. Um, so I was just interested to read, um, and th then we may, uh, we may bounce over to why some of this stuff matters clinically, but I was interesting to read that, um, there is evidence that marijuana causes changes similar to COPD, but so far we've, we've stopped short of saying, you know, that it causes COPD. PD since the link's not just clear, but yeah. um, can you tell us a little bit about the data we're seeing with regard to that? Well, COPD is um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and you can either have a form that's mostly bronchitis with a lot of coughing or kind that's emphysema with a lot of like air trapping, like big old lungs. Um, so with chronic marijuana use, you get changes in your, you know, airways that resemble bronchitis and you get a chronic cough that's basically chronic bronchitis um, but um, because of the way we research things you know you can't really make that link 100 percent yet um, but it certainly seems like it causes airway changes that are similar to copd very interesting so i have uh before we get to why you know uh all of this stuff matters clinically. I have just kind of a, a both a question and a PSA for people. So the PSA is that, um, let me see if I can find it. It was actually posted on our Reddit um, uh, just, just after cannabis was legalized in the state of Illinois. Ah, here it is. PSA legal chillinoyans. If you're new to dabbing, take caution or you might end up in the ER like me. This? Been a dab hitter since 2015. Sunday night, I hit a nail too hot, and long story short, I came down with a severe shortness of breath, a severe phlegm, coughing that lasted two days, um, and they were apparently, I thought that they mentioned they were caught, they had, yeah, a blood clot. Uh, they said that, um, yeah, they're, that maybe it had a ca caused an acute lung injury, not a blood clot. Sorry. Um, sure. So I guess my question is, uh -huh. um, my question is, you, you mentioned earlier that like vaporizing um, generally probably is better than combusting cannabis. But um, have you ever taken a hot dab? <laughs> like. What what is ha this is like totally it sounded like yeah, I was at, about to ask like a dab rig with like the special torch and it's made out of yeah glass. yeah the I, reason I'm asking it, it sounded like I was about to ask a really deep question but in the past I have taken a dab that's a little bit too warm let's say ooh, and ooh. I've gotten a really like I get a really bad cough 
I get really, really hot. Like I almost even sweat mm-hmm. and like shortness of breath, like, like mm-hmm. crazy. And do you, what do you think is going on there? I don't mean to put you on the spot with this one, but do you think it's like the oh, no, vapor is hot or? Um, well, to answer your question, I have, but I don't super remember it. I remember it being a long time ago and my friend having it and me being like, this is really an intense setup. Um, but yeah. I've only done it once. Um, but I know what you're talking about. I mean, you have to get it hotter than usual. Um, that's the whole shtick. Um, so like take that to the, you know, 10th degree and picture inhaling a bunch of smoke in a house fire. Um, you can get a thermal injury to your airway and, you know, present to the ER and I'll just walk you through this. So this is like a really bad situation of what happens when you hit your dab rig. You go to the ER and you're talking okay and it's normal, and then you might start spitting up some black stuff. Like you have an airway injury. Um, so if it's really bad, you know, you can talk for a while and then your airway closes up. So we know to like shove a tube in you before your airway closes up, kind of thing. Um, but it follows a predictable pattern. You know, thermal injury, airway edema or swelling of the tissues in the airway. Um, so I think that's probably what's happening. I think you inhaled air that's far hotter than what your airway can tolerate and you've got a mild thermal injury. So a mild version of what happens. In the ER. Um, probably a little bit of swelling, a little bit of inflammation in your airway that might take a day or two to go away. Um, so that is my guess, you know, I don't really know for sure, but reasonable guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally get that. It's probably tough to to make an assessment but yeah i just thought i'd ask that question because i know that that experience isn't isn't few or far between i mean it's if you don't have an electronic dab rig it's actually more common than than not and so Mm. for the for that reason i thought it might be important to cover the topic and if anybody you know uh is trying to get into dabbing um definitely i recommend getting an electronic rig because then you can set the temperature you can set it lower and you can, you know, ensure that you, maybe you're less at risk for an acute lung lung injury, you know, because yeah. you don't need you don't want one of those. Um, but I guess another those funny marijuana things that we like learn out like learn over time. Like ERs have started to pick these up. Like, you know, kids get fucked up off of edibles and come in, and like now we know enough to know what happens to them. Um, and you can get what you might think of as your lung blowing up, like it's called a pneumothorax. Um, And we know that they have a special relationship with marijuana smokers too. So people in ERs are starting to understand that and make sure that's part of their history. And one day, you know, when dab rigging becomes widespread enough, that'll just be one of the many marijuana related things that we just know how to deal with. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I guess the, the final recommendation I have for folks that may not be able to afford an electronic rig is to look into how to do a cold start. It's exactly what it's talk. What it sounds like. You put your dab in first, and then you, uh, you so you put your dab into your device. Let's say it's a bucket or a banger, and then you start to heat it up. When you start to see it vaporize, then you start to inhale it. What you're doing is you're ensuring that you're not getting it too hot, and, and that you're only heating it up to the point of vaporization. Um, it's definitely still not a science because you're. You know, there's a lot of variables going into shooting a blowtorch in the bottom of a, a you know, bucket. But uh, you're, 
you're not going to chance that high heat exposure, which could then lead to something crazy like you just talked about. So thanks for getting into that because, uh, you know, it's, it's something that more and more people are getting exposed to. So I want to make sure that people get, that people are safe. Cause I mean, cannabis is relatively non-dangerous, you know, like it might be, we might never have data on it, but it's fun to talk about. Definitely. Yeah. And so just to bounce back to the subject of, of all these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meta analysis and, you know, some low grade and mid grade studies. Um, why does all of this stuff that we ma- talked about matter clinically? Like what, what are you, why are you saying this stuff? What are you, what are yeah. you looking for in the future? Well, awareness is one thing, but from a practice point of view, um, the best thing to do is to be able to offer the patient an alternative or a treatment. Like we know when we're talking about tobacco, that there's a few medications that help patients stop smoking, or you can pursue nicotine replacement um, as an alternative, like through a patch or a gum or an inhaler or something like that. Um, so offering the patient an alternative or a solution, it's associated with better adherence. It's just part of what we know about nicotine. Um, so if you translate that into the marijuana world, it's pretty similar concept. Like we can tell you not to smoke, um, but it's more useful if we can give you some kind of practical advice about what to do. Um, so it's kind of like what you were talking about with the cold start. Um, one of the things I usually mention if you're a flower smoker is to um, think about a dryer vape or something like that, because I do I intuitively feel like it is healthier. Do we have data on it? No. Um, and then we have to talk about edibles and topicals and things like that. But um, for me personally, I do not feel like edibles are in a great place in Illinois right now. I feel like they're expensive. I feel like for people who are mostly smokers, they're not really, you know, they're not really where they need to be to be a super useful thing. I feel like people who start off with edibles are generally happy, happier. Um, so knowing that about your like local climate, you know, I, I've taken to recommending RSO because it's becoming more available. Um, I think it is easier for people who smoke a lot to translate that into RSO and get the high that they want. Um, I think being able to offer that as an alternative and like understanding that it's in the stores and something that you can do for a patient, like that totally makes sense for a doctor to be able to do. Um, there's also a body of research that is showing that CBD is a super effective treatment for withdrawal and addiction treatment and all sorts of things um, from as serious as heroin to as, you know, routine as marijuana. Um, so being able to offer that, you know, you can try some CBD. It might make your cravings less. You might want to smoke less. That's something useful for a patient, too. So these are things that physicians um, who know that their patients smoke marijuana uh, can talk to their patients about instead of just being like, you know, don't smoke. Yeah. And so just speaking of edibles, I wonder, I wanted to just give you this idea and I'll be able to back it up in the future. This is my opportunity to tease a future episode of the Chillinois podcast. We're having um, one of the testing labs come on to our podcast. So, so, you know, when you look at that label that's on your cannabis uh, packaging and it says the percentage of THC, um, they're one of the labs that tests cannabis in the state of Illinois. And actually one of the things they've told me ahead of this, uh, conversation that I wanted to tease is that, um, the edibles are, in Illinois are not accurate at all. And here's the reason why, 
Um, they do not test edibles in their final form in Illinois like they do in just about every other state. Ooh. They only, yep, yeah, so here's a little bit of a bombshell. Um, they only test the distillate that they infuse those edibles with. And so if you know anything about making edibles, uh, especially a variety of edibles, Dr. Lee, you've seen the edibles on the market, haven't you? Yeah. There's fucking yeah. taco seasoning, there's suckers, there's drinks, uh-huh. there's brownies, there's fucking bath salts <laughs> and not the, not the zombie bath salts that you, you know, not the z- bath salts that you smoke and turn into a zombie, the bath salts that you put in your bathtub. Anyways, um, non-zombie you know, bath salts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the non-zombie bath salts. Um, they test the the distillate beforehand, and then depending on the whatever they're making, that percentage is greatly affected. And uh, let me just say that this lab has picked up multiple products, uh, infused products from the state of Illinois. And uh, let's just say it's statistically significant that they're not accurate. And uh, if, if you that makes want- a lot of sense. And it's not the most surprising thing in the world. Like I, for instance, to draw a parallel to something, I've often praised the Oklahoma uh, medical marijuana situation um, just because they're like really great with the community and all this stuff. Like they have a lot of low income operators, Um, but there's like a ton of scandals with their lab testing because a lot of it's falsified or, you know, subject to bribery, things like that. Um, so it's something that is going to have to be dealt with in the marijuana industry. Absolutely. Definitely. So before we get to uh, the CBD based drug that died uh, that you wrote about, um, can we return to uh, a subject that we talked about last time? I just feel like there aren't enough uh, health professionals that at least speak to the public that tell us what else we should be doing to stay healthy. Like all I hear Dr. Lee is to put on a mask and to socially distance. I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing that I need to exercise 30 minutes a day. I'm not hearing that I need to eat healthy. I'm not hearing that I need to take vitamin D iron C. You know, what are, what are those, some of those things? Am I right that on some of those things, should we be doing some of those things or that's yeah. Any steps? Definitely part of the culture of medicine in general. We're not great at preventative care um, in this country. It's not, you know, what physicians are rewarded for. A lot of our training doesn't really have to do with it. It's not something that we really emphasize. Um, And I think that's really being exposed right now through the pandemic, just because, you know, a lot of people are feeling like crap. and it's difficult to access your provider. So there's probably a lot of reasons that, you know, someone would feel that way right now. Um, it's really important to think about things, thing, thing to think about in terms of marijuana. And it's actually what I was prepared to speak about. So I'm sorry, I've already wasted 45 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> no worries, man. But yeah, we've got plenty of time. It's really important to think about for marijuana just because patients often report that mood conditions are like, the most, the, they're always like, you know, six out of 10 things in the top 10 and pain's always number one, but like depression and anxiety are usually number two and three. Um, it's what patients report using marijuana for, and it's not, you know, borne out by the data. It's not a great 
it's not a great match with marijuana. Um, and to summarize that, you know, the link with depression and marijuana is just not good. Um, and the link with anxiety and marijuana, it's mixed. And it kind of looks like CBD is doing most of the heavy lifting. Um, so, you know, if you're using marijuana for a mood condition, it should come with an asterisk because the data for it is just not there. Gotcha. So, um, def- yeah, I've, I've heard some of that before and I've even seen it with some of my friends, you know, the, just, uh, think about one of the main, um, symptoms or I guess, uh, side effects that can happen with use of, uh, cannabis, which is, uh, paranoia. I mean, that's not good for your mind. I mean, I make the argument sometimes that we need to be paranoid every once in a while. That's inspired by Joe Rogan. You need to be uncomfortable every once in a while. But mentally, maybe uh, for folks that are already, you know, maybe not feeling as stable or whatever else, um, maybe they can't handle that paranoia. Maybe that, you know, affects their stability as a, their mental stability, you know, um, and ability. Um, so definitely hear you on that. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Just, I, I know these are like softball questions, but you know, 30 minutes of exercise, uh, I mean, I feel like that's all an easy, yes, almost a rhetorical, yes, mm. eating healthy, but do you recommend any like vitamin supplements or anything? Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think mm. of anything to try to keep our people well. Sure. Sure, 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 sure. Um, well, there is data wise, there is, um, like if you look at what helps people feel good and what we have evidence for people feeling good, um, you can break it down into three, you know, big categories, therapy with a therapist or psychologist, uh, medication and lifestyle stuff like you're talking about, um, or exercise, which we have the most data on. Um, like for brevity's sake, like the short version, therapy is great, but it's a luxury. It's hard to do. Um, medication is a necessary evil is how I want people to think about it. And exercise should really be one of the first things you think about. Um, just to cut to the chase, um, I, I think it's one of the most important things that everyone should think about because it's easily executed. You know, anyone can do it. There's a low risk of harm. Um, and we have, a shitload of data on exercise and mood, just like a crap load. Um, earlier today, when I was talking about like the meta-analysis, combining a bunch of low-quality studies for exercise and mood, you know, we're at the point where we have meta-analyses of meta-analyses. Like we just have so much data, and it always says the same thing. It says that people get a, a benefit with exercise. Um, they report an improvement in their quality of life, and really importantly. Um, the largest increase in quality of life comes with patients with mood symptoms. Um, when I started counseling people on marijuana, I almost I talked to almost everyone about exercise because the stuff you go in for, chronic pain, mood symptoms, insomnia, you know, exercise is near first-line treatment for almost all of them. But it started to get really annoying, and like people totally aren't coming in for that type of thing, so I backed off. Um, but I'm still really passionate about talking about it because there there is a lot of data, and you know personally, it's really important to my wellness. Justine, are you still with us? You've been quiet. She may have stepped away, actually. 
Oh, it's all good. Yeah, sorry about that. I I made the mistake of um, opening up something for work and seeing that one of my clients was having a bit of an emergency. So I've been working with them while you guys chat. Sorry about that. Hey, it looks like we're supporting the cannabis world in more ways than one right now. Absolutely. So I'm, awesome. I'm helping well, my no. friends out in Oklahoma be able to sell their medical cannabis. Oh, good. Yeah. Heard that. Yeah, um, so. Well. <laughs> Thanks for uh, talking about wellness during COVID, Dr. Lee. I think it's uh, an important topic. Um, you know, yeah. it, this is just a strange time right now. And, um, you know, I, I encourage our folks like you. I'm just going to reiterate uh, your words of encouragement. Uh, try to try to just get into exercise, whether it's 15 mm. to 30 minutes a day. You know, um, an analogy I use um, really quick is like, you could be on two cruise ships. Dr. Lee, you're on one and I'm on the other. Dr. Lee, you could tell your cruise ship captain, hey, turn this ship five degrees to the right. I am fucking tired of coal. And so the next few days, we'd, we'd be right next to each other. I'd come out on the pier. I'd wave at you at your other ship. You'd, Hi, you know, hello. Uh, but two months later, you're going to be quite a sizable difference away from me only because of a five de degree change in, in direction. And that is all to say that small changes can lead to big changes. Don't overwhelm yourself, folks. Uh, right. just, just try what you can. And uh, ultimately, I, my guess, my last tip is to try to look at exercise like you look at, hopefully, the way you look at brushing your teeth, uh, you know, incorporated into your morning routine. It's some, it is taking care of yourself, just like you take care of your teeth, take care of your body. So yeah, I agree with all that. Absolutely. Um, we do have stuff that shows, I feel like so sick of saying we're data, but we do have data that shows that, you know, it's not just a certain type of exercise. Like we have good evidence showing that aerobic exercise, like anything that makes your heartbeat go to a certain rate versus weightlifting, like it all helps you feel better. So whatever you like, you know, just do it. Um, yeah, there's the solid yoga videos out there. That's what Justine and I do sometimes. We just oh, dope. It's free. I mean, as long as you got the internet, right? You Google uh, or YouTube a yoga video and go right on away and get your heart beating. Yeah, so. that's what I do when I go to my, my favorite quiet ER where I don't have to see anyone. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, uh, I, I think the last real quick shout out to um, teletherapy throughout the pandemic for being a huge resource. Um, it used to be a scant 1.8% of visits prior to the pandemic, but now it's almost everything um, for psychiatric care. Unless you're in a hospital, it's almost all telemedicine. Um, and it is a change that should be permanent because anything that isn't physical exam, you know, required like a marijuana visit or a telemedicine visit for mental health, you know, it should be, you know, the option to do it by video should definitely be there because the pandemic for the pandemic, I think mental health resource-wise, um, therapy has been a huge, a huge success. Um, hopefully, the changes are there to stay. And by changes, I mean like insurance coverage and provider availability. Um, hopefully, those are there to stay because one of the things that sucks about therapy is that you have to drive there and drive back, and it's usually you know during work hours. Um, so it's a luxury. It's a, it's another classist thing. It's something that rich people can do. Um, so through the pandemic, everyone's been able to access it. It's been a huge positive change in the world um, and in the mental health world. Yeah, 
I, I make the argument that, yeah, some of these, some of these great things that have come out of uh, the COVID world definitely need to stay. For example, curbside dispensary uh, visits. I mean, these patients that are immunocompromised now and are worried about COVID, well, they were worried about other things before COVID, and they're going to continue to be worried about things after COVID. So uh, we should keep uh, curbside you know, purchases for dispensaries. We should keep telemedicine appointments um, and, and, you know, therapy and, and services. I mean, uh, these people, especially for folks that are immunocompromised, I mean, these folks were, I always say immunocompromised before and they will be immunocompromised after, uh, we get through this, um, pandemic. So definitely. Yeah. So do you want to, uh, segue into, I saw one of your most recent blog posts about a CBD based drug, uh, that died. I sure. noticed we are at the top of the hour, though. So if you do have to head, uh, uh, yeah, I'll make I will make quick because I want to keep it under an hour. Um, but it's you know, if you are someone who knows me in my personal life and you ask me something about marijuana, you need to beware because it always end up being a blog post. Um, <laughs> this came into fruition. Um, it's about a medical condition called Prater Willie, which I always used to joke is like an onomatopoeia, you know, because it sounds like what it is. You know, Prater right. really just sounds like such a big name, and it's like a condition for people who get, um, they have a genetic deficiency that makes them eat a lot and end up being really large. Um, one of the hallmarks is that they almost always die before age 50 because of the complications of eating too much. Um, so the people that care for these people, um, these and there's a huge range. Um, some some people live by themselves and are based and are completely self-sufficient. Um, and some people need a lot of care. Um, so for some of these people, you know, you have to physically bar them from eating, chain the refrigerator, and like hide all the snacks and do stuff like that. Um, it's it is um, a relatively rare condition, um, but CBD is a really important consideration for treating. Oh, Doctor Lee, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I was just taking a pause. <laughs> okay, just making sure it, it cut off, so I thought we lost you. I got scared. Oh, yeah. Um, any questions on that part, I guess? No, I've, uh, I have not heard of Prater Willie before. Um, I'm looking at your blog post. I want to plug it uh, one more time. Greenmindphysicians.com slash blog is where you'll find, where you'll find some of these posts we're uh, talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, I've never heard of this before. Super interesting. Yeah, well, one of the treatments, these patients often need um, some type of mood medication, uh, but mood medications, one of their common side effects is weight gain. Um, so we look at CBD as a, you know, a good compromise, something that makes sense for these people um, because it's not going to make them gain more weight, which is already an issue, um, but it might give them some mood benefits. Um, so there was a trial for CBD for these patients, you know, which is great. Anytime a marijuana-related medication goes into trial, it's really great. Um, so this medication went into research, and then the, the maker shut down. Um, so that's that's a you know really short gist of the article. It, it's sad to see it happen, um, and it, it's sad to see it happen. But in researching the article, I did find that you know. There are other trials out there, so it's it's nice to see that the the system's working the way it should, and people are eventually going to get access to something that could help them. 
Yeah, that's that's crazy. Especially, um, I'm just gonna tease it, guys. Uh, you know, the the reason that this trial was ended was was pretty crazy. So check out uh, the blog post for information on that. Uh, it wasn't just that they like called it quits. <laughs> you know, it was ended not by their choice. So all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, that is. You know, uh, before we before we break, unless you had something else to t- to say on that, because honestly. Um, when I was making the comment that I was just making, I was, I had also just got done hit, hitting my dab pin. And as you know, your memory goes right out the window when you do that. So I didn't want, I didn't mean to cut you off if I did. Oh, no, it's all good. I, I said what I needed to say. Um, I really like coming on here and preparing the, you know, preparing any blog article because it lets me look at a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, we, we love having you on here and you, you know, we get a lot of good, uh, feedback and, and one specific feedback uh, piece of feedback that I got from last time. Uh, I had this experience as well as some of our other listeners. We felt very smart when uh, we knew what remdesivir was and what hydrochloroquine was and some of these other drugs because of our experience with you. I, I'll just say I felt really yeah. smart. I was like remdesivir. Yeah, I know what remdesivir is. I actually used it this weekend for the first time. I don't take care of a lot of inpatient COVID patients. Remdesivir goes through an IV. Um, so you basically have to be in hospital. Um, but this week I did some coverage in Oklahoma. So I used it for the first time. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, yeah, like I was saying, man, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And as I've said the last few times that, that you've come on here, you're always welcome on here. It's an open invitation. If you don't hear from me, um, you know, reach out, reach out to us, and we'll definitely get you on if you want to talk about anything, um, anything. You know, yeah, we I want to take got questions some. next time, so we need to find a way to orchestrate that. That would be fun. You want to what? I said I want to take questions next time, so we should try to find a way to orchestrate that. That we can definitely be- orchestrate that. We can like maybe make it like a live. Either we can either post. Um, beforehand, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out, but we can make that happen. I have an idea, a really solid idea. We'll talk off. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, um, that's, that's what we had to discuss with Dr. Lee today. So we're going to segue into a discussion about the more act. Yeah. Give me more. (laughs) (laughs) So before we, before we get into that though, I just wanted to take a quick pause and remind our listeners to go to chillinoy.net to get connected with our community to you know leave us a voicemail for the podcast write us an email Um, as we said at the beginning of the podcast your feedback ultimately determines the future of this podcast so without further ado yesterday december 4th the democratic controlled house approved a bill to decriminalize and tax cannabis at the federal level reversing what supporters call a failed policy of criminalizing cannabis use and taking steps to address racial disparities in enforcement of federal drug laws, as reported by the Associated Press. On the White House floor, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who is a Republican from California, said, and I quote, With all of the challenges America has right now, Republicans think COVID relief should be on the floor, but instead, the Democrats put cats and cannabis. They're picking weed over the workers. They're picking marijuana over providing the much-needed money we need to go forward, end quote, to address the pandemic. Um, 
before you say what you have to say about uh, Mr. McCarthy, Justine, I just have to say that his use of the word marijuana tells me a lot about a lot about him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, McCarthy's comment about cats refers to a separate bill approved by the House to ban private ownership of big cats such as lions and tigers, a measure boosted by the Netflix series Tiger King, which is one of Cole's favorites. That bill, approved by the House on Thursday, would allow most private zoos to keep their tigers and other species, but would prohibit most public contact with the animals. Drug reform advocates called the House vote historic, noting that it is the first time comprehensive legislation to decriminalize marijuana has passed the full House or Senate. According to the Associated Press, the vote comes at a time when most Americans live in states where cannabis is legal in some form, and lawmakers from both parties agreed that the national cannabis policy has lagged woefully behind changes at the state level. That divide has created a host of problems. Loans and other banking services, for example, are hard to get for many cannabis companies because pot remains illegal at the federal level. Yeah, and just to note on that real quick, um, I have noticed that in my own personal life, I may have mentioned it on the podcast in the past, um, where I actually received some sort of correspondence from my bank that was FDIC um, regulated stating that if they were to learn that my paychecks were coming from cannabis, that my account would be closed. So I actually had to switch banks because my paychecks were in fact coming from cannabis. So not um, only um, didn't you mention to me when we first started talking that your dispensary manager was having uh, quite the time getting a house, which is something I think we could all agree people need uh, or should have the right to have a house um, they were denying him on the fact that his income was uh, based in cannabis. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He had a hell of a time getting a home loan. So uh, this MORE Act is going to be huge. But four states, including New Jersey and Arizona, passed referendums allowing recreational cannabis this year, which is awesome. Um, voters made Oregon the first state in the nation to decriminalize possession of small amounts of cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine, which a lot of people kind of think that that means that it's totally legal to sell cocaine and heroin out on the streets, but there is ulterior motive to that legalization, which we're going to get into here in just a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, they, they decriminalized all all drugs which yeah. was pretty awesome. Uh, small amounts. That's the key word. I mean, you see memes flying around like Oregon, man, you, you know, we can do whatever. And it's, it's not that, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before, but it's the idea that um, instead of it being a crime, it's a ticket. They're still going to take your crack. They're still going to take your cocaine, your heroin, whatever. Um, but you're not going to go to jail for it. I mean, that is unless you do commit a violent offense. But the thing is, is mere possession of, the, the substances we're talking about. It's a nonviolent offense, and that's how they're going to start treating it. So that, that's about as simple as I like to put it. I feel like a lot of people get excited, and rightfully so. Hey, man, I want to do a lot of drugs too, right? So <laughs> I'm just joking. But, uh, you know, um, it's a, it's just a realistic measure. It's, it's, decriminalizing, um, it's decriminalizing something. It's not making it legal. It's no longer a criminal act. It's just a citable offense. So, um, the bill, the MORE Act, 
passed 228 to 164 and now goes to the Republican-controlled Senate, where it is unlikely to advance. Um, a related bill that would give pot businesses access to traditional banking services has languished in the Senate after being approved by the House last year. If you guys recall, that was the Safe Banking Act, um, and it, it did not see the light of day. Yeah. Um, so five Republicans supported the bill. Representative Matt Gates and Brian Mast of Florida, Tom McClintock of California, Denver Riggleman of Virginia, and Don Young of Alaska. So kudos to them. Um, and then six Democrats opposed it, which, you know, only six, that's not bad. But Representative Sherry Bustos and Daniel Lipinski of Illinois, Colin Peterson of Minnesota, Chris Pappas of New Hampshire, Connor Lamb of Pennsylvania, and Henry Cuellar of Texas. Yeah, so if uh, your House representative is Sherry Bustos or Daniel Lipinski, and if I said her name, I don't give a fuck, uh, <laughs> tell her to go fuck herself and tell Daniel to go fuck himself too. Um, and hey, maybe that had a good reason, so don't start off with go fuck yourself. Maybe ask them why they opposed it. Um, but what I'm trying to say, I, I try to be funny, but what I'm trying to say is have a conversation with your representatives. Why in the hell did a Democrat vote against a pro-cannabis bill? And may, maybe they have a good reason. Maybe there's something in there that, that we don't know about because um, I like to stop and say this every once in a while. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. So it's not like I'm a fucking lawyer or a politician or anything like I don't. I try to read law, but if if any if you've ever tried to read law, it's uh, you might think you understand it, and then somebody that that's just it. You have your understanding, and then somebody else has their understanding, and your understanding may not be uh, conventionally held as true. So, plus, um, not to mention that kind of text is drier than a goddamn Nature Valley granola bar. Yes, I I don't know what what brand are we shitting on? Nature's what? Wow, Cole, Nature's Valley. Nature's Valley. I'm sorry. I've I you act like I should have tried that. I've not. I've fun fact for our listeners. I know some of you guys know this. I've never even had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before. So for you to, we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> we need to talk about what we reported uh, briefly yesterday, which is that Senate Majority Leader. Bitch, oh, whoops, Mitch McConnell, sorry, uh, mocked the bill, saying in a Senate floor speech that, on quote, the House of Representatives is spending this week on pressing issues like mar marijuana, you know, the serious, important legislation that's befitting this national crisis, <laughs> despite support, and that was end quote, despite support from his supporters, uh, from members of his own Senate caucus, like Lisa Murkowski, uh, outgoing Senator Cory Gardner from uh, Colorado or Rand Paul from Kentucky. McConnell has consistently mocked and belittled the issue of legislation in recent years, and he's even shown his uh, his level of intellect uh, when asked if support if his support of hemp would carry over to the broader legalization issue. McConnell said, "It's a different plant. It's illicit cousin, which I have chosen not to embrace." It has an illicit cousin, which I have chosen not to embrace. I do not have any plans to endorse the legalization of marijuana. Well, I'm sorry, Mitch McConnell. 
Um, I know you're not really into science, but um, scientifically, hemp and cannabis are the same plants. There's a legal difference. That's what you're talking about. And that legal difference is fucking stupid. If you guys want to know what the legal difference is really quick before we get into a description of the Moore Act, the legal difference between hemp and cannabis is that hemp is legally defined as cannabis containing 0.03% THC. Is that correct? 0.03% THC, Justine? I think so. I mean, I've always just thought that um, hemp was essentially the male cannabis plant and no. cannabis is the female plant, but I must be wrong about that. I don't know. I, I just Googled 0.03 THC gummies, uh, 0.03 THC CBD. 0.03. I'm pretty sure it's 0.03. Oh, wait. However, it is negligible up to 0.3. I don't know. Google that, guys. Make sure you know the numbers. But the point is, there is... It's part of the same genus and species. It is the same plant. Yeah. Um, to prove to you, though, Justine, just because I've heard people say exactly what you just said, people have that understanding, that misunderstanding. Um, it If the DEA goes to a hemp farm and they test your hemp and it is above 0.3, you have to destroy that product because it's cannabis. Gotcha. And so... They are the same thing, and Mitch McConnell needs to get to read. He needs to read. So speaking of reading, why don't you read? Um, I'm being a little condescending this week, huh? Um, speaking of reading, why don't you read us a description of the Moore Act, and, and why don't you tell us what Moore stands for? Yeah, so let's get into the really, like, meat and potatoes part of this. Um, so the MORE Act stands for Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. Um, so that came about in 2019 and is also known as just the MORE Act of 2019. And this bill decriminalizes cannabis. Um, so specifically, it removes cannabis from the list of scheduled substances under the Controlled Substances Act and eliminates criminal penalties for an individual who manufactures, distributes, or possesses cannabis. Yeah, and cannabis being removed from the Controlled Substances Act is huge. To quote Justin Streckel, who's the political director at Normal, he said, on quote, it's important to remember that none of the states that have reformed their cannabis policies, whether medical or adult use, were predicated on if cannabis, or sorry, if Congress decides to move marijuana to Schedule 2 or 3 or 4. These states have been operating in clear defiance of federal policy, and the only way to protect the existing marketplaces is to outright remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act and regulate it as its own substance, end quote. Yeah, this bill also makes other changes, including um, replacing statutory references of marijuana or marijuana with cannabis, because um, as we know, the term marijuana is rooted in a very racist background um, discriminating against Hispanics. So we want to get that out. It's just cannabis. Um, it also requires the Bureau of Labor Statistics to regularly publish demographic data on cannabis business owners and employees. 
Um, the MORE Act establishes a trust fund to support various programs and services for individuals and businesses and communities impacted by the war on drugs, um, which this is kind of along the lines of what we were saying with the decriminalization that they did in Oregon is it basically because people aren't going to jail right away, they have an opportunity to be put into rehabilitation centers. So we're actually going to fix the problem instead of just punishing the crime, which is awesome. Um, the MORE Act imposes a 5% tax on cannabis products and requires revenues to be deposited into the trust fund, which is, again, going to fund things like rehabilitation services and mental health services, which are very badly needed. The MORE Act makes special or small business administration loans and services available to entities that are cannabis-related legitimate businesses or service providers. The MORE Act prohibits the denial of federal public benefits to a person on the basis of certain cannabis-related conduct or convictions. So you would not be able to be denied any sort of public benefits um, based off of any past cannabis-related convictions, which is awesome. Um, the MORE Act prohibits the denial of benefits and protections under immigration laws on the basis of a cannabis-related event, um, for example, conduct or conviction. So if you are working on becoming a citizen of the United States and you have a past cannabis conviction, um, the U.S. couldn't hold that against you and keep you from gaining that citizen status based on a cannabis-related conviction, which is awesome. The MORE Act, MORE Act establishes a process to expunge convictions and conduct sentencing review hearings related to federal cannabis offenses, and it directs the Government Accountability Office to study the societal impact of cannibal, cannabis legalization, not cannibal legalization. That is not going to happen. Just to get back to something, to Jordan Streckel, the political director director at Normal, the move to label marijuana as cannabis, as Justine was talking about, is on quote, a reestablishment of the legal term for cannabis. Through statute, we started calling it marijuana in the 1930s. That was largely contingent on the actions of Harry Anslinger, who changed the conversation and changed the title to marijuana as a way to heavily, heavily utilize the racial animus of the time, which is unfortunately not too dissimilar to today. He weaponized the language against those who consume, and he used marijuana to play on fears related to Mexican immigrants. The more end quote. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry I, meant to, I meant to end that quote. That's all right. The MORE Act also creates a new federal office, the Cannabis Justice Office. As you might imagine, the purpose of this office is to be focused on addressing cannabis-related issues. When talking about the new office, Justin Streckel said, quote, since we're changing the law and marijuana possession, cultivation, and sales would no longer be a crime, we must make sure that we're no longer discriminating against our citizens who are burdened by the criminal records they received under prohibition, end quote. Yeah, and let's briefly get back into how the MORE Act um, addresses immigration issues related to cannabis. Right now, cannabis-related offenses, if we, as we've reported in past episodes, are a significant contributor to deportable offenses. 
Yeah. And so once again, to quote Justin Streckel, the political director at Normal, it's important to quote, it's important to make sure that we establish explicit protections to those who are already here. Even if we end federal prohibition, let's say hypothetically in Idaho, which may never reform their state policies against cannabis, that mere possession charge won't turn into a deportable offense. So removing marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act doesn't legalize marijuana in every corner of this country. It simply ends the federal prohibition of marijuana and allows states and localities to set their own policies as they see fit. It's a choose-your-own-adventure for conservatives or liberals or anyone at any point of the political spectrum to be able to come to that determination. That, under our federalist society, cannabis should be locally controlled. While it would no longer be a federal offense, the violation of local law is something that's still taken under consideration through federal administration, and that includes immigration, end quote. And as reported by Forbes, just when we thought this election season was over, supporters of marijuana legalization are gearing up for one last major fight of the season. That is because... The one last hope for full cannabis legalization at the federal level fully depends on the outcome of two special elections for the U.S. Senate in Georgia on January 3rd, 2021. This is not to say that should Democrats pick up the two seats in Georgia's special election, that a unified Democratic government will achieve federal legalization. Whoever controls the federal government will have a long list of priorities to address next year, from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic to a global recession. It is possible that we see this issue get left by the wayside or that President Biden's old drug warrior ways reemerge and he refuses to support meaningful reform. And while it is true that Democrats supporting legalization is no sure thing, As pointed out earlier, it's equally true that legalization stands little to no chance under Mitch McConnell and current Republican Senate leadership. Supporters of legalization, regardless of their own broader personal political beliefs, should keep an eye on the upcoming special election in Georgia and do all they can to help the, the Democrats capture both seats. This is, we have to put some things aside here if you believe that cannabis should be legalized and you believe in all of these other things that we just talked about. I mean, I'd be hard pressed to say anything that we said was controversial. I might've said things that were condescending about some political figures that some of you may respect. But the thing is all of this stuff that we've said, I, I would love to have somebody dispute it. Seriously. Go to chillinoinet slash podcast, scroll down and click be heard. Leave us a voicemail and tell us how fucking wrong we are. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty positive. I'm right. Just well, saying. one thing, Dylan. one thing that could kind of um, hurt this, especially with the Senate elections in Georgia, um, from what I have been hearing and reading People in Georgia have been being told not to vote, um, that their senators do not deserve re-election, and so there should just not be a vote, period. Um, well, so hopefully I, that the minds kind of change there and people ignore that and still do their due diligence to, you know, cast their votes. I'm not sure. So I'm 
I am not totally versed on that story, but as far as I'm concerned, that story that you're referring to is uh, largely, it seems to be a right-wing thing. So the, the Republicans in the Georgia runoff race are telling Republican voters not to vote for this runoff because it's a sham. And you know what? If, if you guys aren't going to vote, and that's going to allow Blue to flip the Senate, and that will then allow the Moore Act to pass because Mitch McConnell won't have, he won't be majority leader. I think I'm all right with that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I am really concerned about the level of faith in our democracy right now. Um, but I think, I'd li- I don't know, I was going to try to make a joke about how maybe if weed got legalized, that some of these people that just aren't seeing the light of day. Maybe they'll have a, you know, come to reckoning or come to Jesus moment. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but one of the things I heard, and maybe we can, I don't know. This might be a tough Google. Um, what I, because again, we're not experts by any means. We're just trying to figure this stuff out, and we're totally accepting of feedback. I know I was being a little snarky earlier, saying like, "Prove me wrong" and all that stuff. But really, prove me wrong, because I'm probably, I'm probably wrong about something, you know. I mean, I'm, that's the thing is that, um, I I'm confident and that makes me sound smart, but I'm not. So like you should research into what I'm saying and, uh, you'll probably find that, that I might be wrong, but let's look into, um, so I don't know how I would Google this, but the idea that I heard is that it, even if the Senate flips blue, the more act would die this year at the flip of the year. So in other words, it'd have to go through the house again. And the House, the Democrats have really lost their majority. So it's going to be, it's not going to be an easy, as easy of a pass. I mean, what did we say the pass was earlier? It was like 228 to 167. I don't know what the makeup of the House is, like off the top of my head, but I'm well, I know that the, so yeah, 228 to 164. I know that the majority that the Democrats held is, is not as large as it was. Um, so that might be something to research as you're researching into what we've talked about. Like I put a pretty big um, focus on the fact that this runoff election or these uh, special elections for the U S Senate in Georgia on January 3rd, 2021, I put a pretty big um, emphasis on the fact that we might have that. That's where we see hope for cannabis legalization. Um, but that's where I think I might be wrong. I'm willing to admit I may be wrong there. So please research what we say. And, um, I'm going to do some research myself just to continue to be vigilant and diligent and vigilant. Um, you know, cause I, I don't want to be misinforming people, um, or giving you false hope. Um, cause really the, the goal is not to really to it. The goal is to give you hope. That's why I put some emphasis on on these things. So um, I'm hopeful that cannabis would become decriminalized federally um, because, Justine, I don't know if you knew that. or Yeah, I guess we just talked about it. I mean, so you should know it. Um, the laws that we have now would stand, and there wouldn't be any fear of feds coming in to – I mean, as so long as the businesses are legitimate, as you said, um, there wouldn't be any – fear the feds just like uh people can't just like 
start brewing alcohol or cooking food and selling it to people, like you need the paperwork to do that. I mean, you yeah. could, but you might get in trouble. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, to to put it in a pretty easily digestible way, the federal government is just opening it up so that if a state wants to fully legalize and allow banking and allow everything that has to do with cannabis, they can, but they don't have to. It's totally up to them. Right. And uh, I think the, shoot, where's my, where's my phone here? I was going to read the joke that we posted on our Instagram the other day. Um, what did we say here? We said, the if you, if Ossif Ossoff and Warnock win, which are the Democrats in the race, we get decriminalized weed. If Ossoff and Warnock lose, that means Mitch keeps the Senate, which means weed is definitely going to remain federally illegal. If you flip the Senate blue, you can pay for weed with a credit card from Amazon. <laughs> I just thought that comment was funny. I, I actually took that from uh, Reddit, some Reddit comments uh, on the Moore Act. I thought that was just, just funny. So. Yeah. Um, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the Chillinoy podcast. Um, it, it was a fun one. It was a substantive one. Um, the next episode, Justine, who we, who we have on our good buddy, Kyle Fields comedy. That's God damn right. Kyle Fields comedy. So if you, uh, are unfamiliar with Kyle Fields, he was on the podcast before and, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and plug it. Go ahead and listen to it because uh, it's, it's, it doesn't like you can listen to it at any time. It's not like it like is dated by any means. Um, it's a f really fun conversation. Kyle's a funny guy. I mean, he's a comedian, right? So you, you gotta kind of, gotta kind of be funny, right? So um, he's really cool. Definitely check out the episode that we already recorded and uh, check out our next episode with Kyle, which we'll release very soon. Yeah. See you then. Justine, uh, any other thoughts? I'm just kind of hitting my dab pen. You got your vape pen in there? Um, yeah, I do. But my only other thought is check out Can of Queens on Instagram where we went on hiatus with the Chillinois podcast. So we're back. We're posting more content. Um, my creative juices are flowing. So things are going to get interesting over there um so send your friends bring yourself uh follow us we might follow you back and let us know what you think yeah and justine um can our listeners find uh can of queens anywhere other than instagram like you guys just got a website of course we have a website that i lovingly and painstakingly designed myself so uh that can be found at canaqueens.com so c-a-n-n-a-k-w-e-e-n-s.com and our instagram handle is canaqueensco so c-a-n-n-a-k-w-e-e-n-s-c-o hell yeah so yeah. definitely follow the can of Queens. They're awesome. Very uh, awesome resource. Well, a wealth of knowledge, if I might say so myself. Um, so, yeah, I guess the only parting thought I have is uh, just because you brought up social media. Um, if you're wanting to get involved in the community, go to chillinois.net 
And you from there, you can find our Discord, our Reddit, um, and they're both really, really active cannabis communities for the state of Illinois. But, you know, it's not even limited to Illinois. We've got Barry from Kentucky, which I think Barry actually just moved to Illinois. So shout out to Barry. He's become a Chillinoyan. <laughs> um, but we've got out-of-staters all the time. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, uh, Justine, like, you know, those people from Florida. and Well, you know, Florida's got medical now, but by and large, still people from Florida and down south will travel across the country to go to Colorado or the West Coast to get cannabis. Well, guess who's guess who's halfway there? Hey, hey. Illinois. So uh, we, I think it was a good move that we did it when we did. I mean, it was a, we should have done it earlier, but whatever. I'll take what we can get, right? Exactly. All right. So I think that's all we got for this week. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.